How many of you are willing to admit or confess publicly that you binge watch on Netflix sometimes? Anybody? Okay. For those of you not familiar, uh, binge watching is uh, watching a season or two or three or four uh, dozens of episodes in a very, very short amount of time. It may cause you to lose sleep, show up late to work, things like that, Um, but it's really fun. And I know some of you think that uh, pastors go to bed reading the Bible all night long until we we can't stay up anymore, and then we wake up in the morning and we just go straight back into wherever we were and continue uh, all day long. Um, I don't want to burst your bubble, but sometimes we watch TV. And there's a show that I'm watching, and I just finished, and the main character is a Marine who has come back from active duty, and some of his past comes home to the States with him by way of an enemy who is hunting the main character and his fellow Marines, and the, uh, the antagonist shows up in the town where he lives as an imposter, right? As, as someone who's trying to get near his target. And as part of that plot to get near his target, to find out information about his target so he can fulfill uh, what he's trying to do, he makes friends with the main character's wife. And so there's this great tension every time this guy who's hunting these marines is with this wife because she doesn't know but the viewer knows and you're like no 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 get away from him he's an imposter right Uh, wolves in cheap clothing Uh, the viewer knows his intent the viewer knows what he's capable of the sweet wife of the marine uh, doesn't and so she inadvertently puts herself her daughter and her husband and his buddies in great harm's way because she doesn't know that he's an imposter. Imposters are dangerous. We let them in closer to our lives than we might other people. Sometimes we give them a greater voice uh, than we would because we can't identify them. And so in 2 Peter chapter 2 today, Peter warns the church about imposters in the church. These are people whose lives look okay, but they are deterring people from following Jesus rather than helping them follow Jesus. And Peter is going to say, examine their lives over time. You will see uh, the difference. Okay, so Second Peter chapter 2. Turn with me if you're there. The first point today, Peter is just going to say, hey, wake up be aware these people are out there if they're not there now they're coming and so uh, i want us just to see the reality uh, of these imposters the reality of false teachers second peter 2 1 through 3 peter says this he says but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies or destructive teachings or destructive ideas, even denying the Master, even denying Jesus, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth, which is often, or in the New Testament, a number of times is used to describe Christ followers. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth 
will be blasphemed or spoken of irreverently or mocked or belittled. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. He says their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. Essentially saying this happened before in Deuteronomy. We get instructions for God's people about how to identify false prophets. And they needed that instruction because there were false prophets claiming to speak on behalf of God, but coercing the people to try to worship another God. And so Peter says, this is the same thing that happened back then. And he says, be aware they're in your midst. They deny Jesus as Lord. They're driven by greed and their life is marked by sexual sin. And they preach license, do whatever you want whatever is right to you whatever feels good do it and he says they're even among you and that's a scary thing because what he's saying is they may have blended in in church life you may have served with them in vacation bible school they may have gone with you on a mission trip and peter is saying be aware of anyone who preaches a different god who deters you from following Jesus. Um, Scary thing. One of the potential, there's many, one of the potential parallels that we might see in in our day that that undermines Jesus' lordship and Jesus' words uh, are things that maybe you've heard from someone uh, as advice or counsel, or maybe you've even said to someone else. um, Have you ever heard uh, someone say, all paths Uh, lead to God, right? There's a mountain. God's on top of it. We're down here. You can go up the face of the mountain. You can go around the long way. It'll take you a long time, but you can get there. It's a little bit safer. The footing is more sure, Uh, but all paths lead up. All paths lead to God, and so that sounds, um, that makes sense just sometimes uh, to us. The problem is, is Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets to the Father but by me, so when we adopt something that, that might even rationally make sense to some of us, Uh, we discover uh, that we are denying uh, Jesus and and that that thinking undermines the entirety of the gospel. Maybe someone has given you counsel to just follow your heart. Do whatever makes you happy. Some of us have been in really significant moments of difficulty, big decisions to make, and someone has said, just follow your heart, not realizing that in Jeremiah... We read that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can understand it? And the prophet invites the Lord to search our hearts because we can't even search them without his help. So to say, just do what's on your heart really undermines the heart of what the Bible says about who we are. Um, to say, whatever, do whatever makes you happy. Again, uh, we read and in First Peter even, be holy for I am holy, right? That the Spirit is making us holy, the Spirit's primary concern is not to make us happy. Like, it doesn't follow me around all day. Oh, Nathan, how are you doing in the happy scale today? You happy? Like, you really, really happy today? You a little bit more happy than yesterday? Uh, it wants to make us holy. And, and so the problem is, is that some of us will run away from anything that's difficult, pursuing happiness, and we never become holy. So to encourage someone to just do whatever makes you happy is to undermine... Uh, what the Spirit is actively doing in us. It sets us against Jesus, not in alignment with him. And so we just got to be careful 
that the way that we live our lives and the beliefs that we hold are derived from Scripture and what God says is true about who He is and who we are and what He wants for us and to be thoughtful of the fact that we are tempted often to choose the path of least resistance or to justify living the way that we want to live um, and affirming anything that allows us to do that. And that's kind of what's going on here uh, in Second Peter. So he says, be aware, the reality of false teachers, and then not just be aware, he says, stay away. Judgment is coming. The destiny for these people is not good. So stay away from them. Do not align yourself with them and know what's coming. Let's read verses 4 through 9 in Second Peter 2 as Peter uh, reiterates this message. Stay away. Be warned. Verse 4, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not, verse 5, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if, verse 6, by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting in his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Verse 9, then the Lord knows how to keep, how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So Peter lists three instances of divine judgment in the Old Testament to say to his listeners, to say to those who would read the book of Second Peter, even if it looks like these people are getting away with what they're doing, and you're maybe even attracted to go and to do the same and to live like them, to live without moral constraint, judgment is coming. If even if it hasn't happened yet, judgment is coming. And so he lists uh, the angels, and many believe he's referencing the angels in Genesis 6, fallen angels who come and live uh, with men and women. And the text says that those angels are bound They're chained, waiting for eternal judgment. The takeaway being, if God did not spare those rebellious angels, how much more will these false teachers not be spared? In other words, stay away. He lists Noah and the flood, right? What is Noah called to do? Day in and day out, build this ark, this thing that would have been senseless, to everyone who was looking on and to remain faithful, even though virtually nobody was going with him. And what happens? A severe flood. The judgment was certain, wasn't it? The judgment was severe. You see, a great offense requires a great punishment. Right? That's justness, right? If you lie and cheat and steal from your employer, you're going to get fired. That's just. If you just show up late to work one day, probably not, right? A a great offense requires a great judgment from a just God. And, And so Peter says, it's coming for them, even if it hasn't happened yet. 
And then he lists Sodom and Gomorrah. And he uses that word extinction, annihilation. They're destroyed. It's an ash heap uh, foreshadowing the judgment that is to come. And so you can just imagine some of Peter's audience. They're watching these people in their midst who just seem to be getting away with everything that they're doing or, or maybe are living in such a way where they're just indulging all of their passions and the people following Jesus are looking at them and thinking, well, they're getting away with it. Why not me? Peter says, they're not getting away with it. He says, stay away. And then verse 9, we see the reminder that God has the power to keep his own. And so Noah and Lot are listed not because they were able to white-knuckle it through the difficulty of their lives, but as evidences, examples of persons God kept, God preserved in spite of the godless culture around them. Maybe you can relate to Noah. Noah, who day in and day out continued to be faithful, building the ark in spite of the fact that he was ridiculed, in spite of the fact that virtually nobody went with him. If you're a young person in here and you're trying to date in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, that sets yourself up for a lifetime of faithfulness and you're looking for a guy or a girl who you actually see spiritual fruit in, a spiritual vitality, you're likely going to stand alone. You're likely going to be mocked and called old-fashioned or judgmental uh, even by your own friends. Stay the course. Noah stayed the course and it paid off. If you're trying to point your kids or your grandkids to Jesus, you're likely going to find yourself saying no a lot more than your friend's parents or your friend's grandparents. Friends are going to come over, what they're listening to, what they're watching, the things that they have, and you're going to say no, no, ah, no. Stay the course. Noah had to stand alone. Noah stood alone. God kept him. God preserved him. It paid off. Stay the course. Maybe maybe you can relate to Lot. It says Lot was tormented in his soul by the sin that he saw around him. Some of you are tormented by what you see happening in culture. Stay the course. Trusting God can preserve you. Stay the course as an advocate for the kingdom of God in your sphere of influence. Don't get discouraged. Some of you are tormented by the pain and the suffering and the sin that you see even in your own family. Stay the course. Be an advocate for the kingdom of God in your sphere of influence. Don't get discouraged. Keep going. Some of you are teachers and you're tormented by what you see happening in the lives of your students and the homes that they go back to at the end of the day. And when they come in the morning to school, you see them in the clothes that they're wearing, uh, the look on their face, and you just know they come from so much brokenness and it's heavy on your soul and it torments you. Stay the course as a advocate for the kingdom of God in your sphere of influence, trusting that he will keep you. Verse 9 has this sense of the Lord's power to keep his people from anything that is would spiritually dislodge uh, their spiritual feet. And then his, the other side of that coin is that holding those tight um, who are wicked and rebellious for the eventual certain and very final judgment. Uh, Let's continue in in the text to uh, verses uh, 10 through 22. Uh, So much in these verses. um, He said, be aware, be alert, 
there's imposters in your midst. Uh, he said, uh, don't worry, God's got this. Like this, the destiny of these imposters is, is, is certain. Uh, the judgment for the wicked is certain. And now he's going to give them a more fuller description of these imposters starting in verse 10. Speaking of that judgment, he says, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion. Again, that these imposters are preaching and teaching. Do whatever you want. Do whatever makes you happy. Jesus is not coming back. There is no final judgment. There is no accountability. Do whatever you want. And they despise authority. It says, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Uh, Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce blasphemous judgments against them before the Lord. But these, these false teachers, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming and blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will all be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. Second half of 13, they are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. There it is again, feast with you, that they're in their midst. Verse 14, uh, they have eyes full of adultery. They have eyes insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Verse 15, forsaking the way they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain for wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression or his own sin by a speechless donkey who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Uh, Two key themes. Uh, Their lives are just marked by reckless abandonment of their passions, right? They... They, um, and maybe even in what is a, a parallel uh, ideology of today, uh, they have the sense that they're enlightened or they're liberated from moral constraint and that that is the ultimate sense of, of freedom. Uh, how many of you know that freedom is not achieved by uh, shirking all of your responsibilities and obligations? How many of you know that freedom is not achieved by removing all expectations. Any relationship of significance has expectations and obligations. If you're a student and they're a teacher, there's a relationship right there and the the expectation is the teacher comes prepared to teach. The expectation is the student comes prepared to learn. Both have to do their job and in that there's freedom. When they don't do what's expected of them, the whole thing falls apart. In marriage, there's expectations and obligations, right? Uh, the role of a man and the role of a woman, and when those are happening, there's freedom in that. There's not freedom in just disregarding uh, expectations and obligations. It's there's freedom in God's order. There's chaos when we try to move towards disorder, away from His order. This idea of do whatever you want, whatever seems right to you. It says they are bold and rebellious. Uh, we don't have time to turn to Jude this morning, but Jude is essentially like a parallel passage to this whole chapter, and it elaborates on what's going on here when Peter says uh, angels don't pronounce judgment, but these wicked imposters do. Uh, there's a story in Jude 
where the, Michael, the angel, interacts with the enemy, with Satan, and refuses to put a judgment upon him and says, that's the Lord's job. The Lord will judge you, not me. These wicked imposters are uh, making a judgment on Jesus, making a judgment on his word, making a judgment on his people. And Peter says, how dare they set themselves opposed to the word of God? How dare they set themselves opposed to Jesus? It's the height of arrogance. It's the height of blasphemy. Verses uh, 19 16, 17, and 18, 19, talk about these people uh, as being like waterless springs. In other words, they promise nourishment, they promise freedom, but it's all empty. It's all a charade. It's all an act. It says they are slaves to those their sin. They are slaves to these things that have mastery over them. It kind of makes me think of the... Uh, um, the legalization uh, of marijuana, whereas there's this sense that it is a freedom for a community to have this this right or this privilege, whatever whatever it is, and then so many find that that is not a freeing thing. It is an enslaving uh, thing where we just uh, understand that uh, freedom sometimes is, is not what we think it is, and it creates enslavement. And so Essentially, these teachers saying, do whatever you want, and they themselves are enslaved to their own sin. Uh, Let's read uh, the last few verses of the chapter. Uh, Just verses 20 through 22 are are fantastic, uh, and they they raise a lot of questions. Um, So let's continue with this theme, uh, Peter talking about these individuals whose lives in some way, shape, or form somewhat resemble Christian living, but upon further examination prove that they are not part of the family of God. Speaking of these people, he says in verse 20, For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first, for it would be better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. One of the questions that this text raises is, is Peter saying that these people, these imposters, is he saying that they were individuals who were saved, who were followers of Christ, who turned away and lost their salvation? And so I just want to kind of pause there. I want to read some texts that I think speak to that point and then come back and wrap it up. Um, Matthew 7.22 is one of those texts. Um, Matthew 7.22 makes the case uh, that some will be surprised on the day of judgment when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Uh, Matthew 7 says this, starting in 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. One of the things that we see is there's just nowhere in Scripture that says if you at one point somewhere in your life prayed some sort of salvation prayer, that that in itself saves you, right? The expectation of Scripture is that genuine repentance will produce genuine life change. And so if I were to say, well, I prayed a prayer when I was six, but I never followed the Lord, never had spiritual fruit, that's not how Scripture talks about following Jesus. And so there's, the text says in Matthew 7 that some are going to be surprised. And then in Hebrews 3, 13 and 14, it says, it says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. In other words, a mark of genuine faith will be genuine life change. The more we walk with the Lord, the more that it's expected that it will be evident, that genuine life change will be evident. Read in that Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the like. Read in that um, following through with the Great Commission, with the command to go and to make disciples. The expectation of Scripture is that genuine faith will lead to genuine life change. And so if there's no evidence of genuine life change, it causes us to ask this really weighty question, is is there genuine faith? Matthew 7 says, some are going to be surprised. Hebrews 3, 2 Peter 1, and others say a mark of genuine faith will be genuine life change. It will be evident. It will be visible. Uh, And then we see from Jeremiah 32 and and Romans 8 and a number of other places that the Lord preserves his people, right? Noah and Lot aren't mentioned because of how great they were. They were evidences that God held on to his own in spite of great trial and great temptation. Interestingly enough, we know Noah and Lot and often think first of their tragic blunders. And so how special and gracious and merciful that the Lord gives us these examples whose faults and failures are well documented uh, to remind us that it is He who holds us secure in our faith. It's not our ability to prove worthiness of His holding. Uh, let me read Jeremiah 32:40 as just an example uh, from the Old Testament that the way that God related to His people uh, was by choosing them, was by... Um, making a covenant with them and that he was the one who was faithful because so often they were not. Uh, Jeremiah 32, 40 says this. He says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them and I will put the fear of them in in their heart, fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and my soul. It says, I will put the fear of me in their hearts because they are going to be tempted and their times are going to stray. So I will put it there. 
that they may not turn from me because they're going to be tempted and at times they're going to turn from me, says the Lord. So we see that in the way that the Lord relates to his people is it's his power that holds us near. It's not our power to hold on to him. Uh, We see more of that in Romans chapter 8. Paul is talking about God's saving work and he says all of those verse 30 who are predestined he also called and he says those that he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified in other words those whom he called for whom faith was awakened they responded with faith and trust those people he also glorified in other words He begins the work and he ends the work. He holds us to the day of glorification. And so why why read that passage? If he holds me, then it's not my ability to perfectly tow the Christian line that keeps me held by him. It's his righteousness, not mine. It's his power uh, not mine. So when we come back to this text of First, Second uh, Peter two, and when we ask the question, "Ooh, is it possible that someone can be saved and then lose their salvation?" I think what we see in the entirety of Scripture and what we see here in the context of Second Peter is these are people who may talk, who may have talked the Christian talk for a bit. These are people who may even have attended church or walked some sort of Christian walk for a bit. Over time, upon closer examination, their lives reveal that they were never a part of the family of God. And they're called imposters. They're called blots. They're called blemishes. And they are actively deterring people from following Jesus. They ascribe to the belief, do whatever you want. It's sort of that eat, drink, and die, or eat and drink for tomorrow we die, or however the mantra goes is. Um, but what we see, the encouragement for God's people is that he holds us tight. The encouragement that we see for Peter's listeners is that judgment is coming for these people even though it hasn't happened yet. So there's this warning. Be aware they're in your midst. Stay away from them. You will know them by their lives. Right? One of the verses that many of you will have heard is that you will know a tree by its fruit. Right? It's what we do not what we say. And so Peter is warning his people, stay away. So I I just want to encourage us collectively as a church, let's seek wisdom from people who are walking with the Lord, not just people who who sound good or make persuasive arguments. Let's seek wisdom. Let's seek counsel. Let's seek mentoring. Let's model our lives lives after those who we see spiritual fruit in. Uh, not just those that have the loudest voice or the most charismatic uh, personality. Some of you today might relate more to these false teachers. You might say, yeah, that actually kind of sounds like me. Life has just been on my terms. Whatever feels good in the moment, that's been me. Some of you are familiar with the story of the prodigal son where the posture of the father is arms wide open when this son, who has essentially said to him, I wish you were dead, give me my inheritance, and then proceeds to predictably squander the inheritance 
and returns to the father thinking, hey, dad, remember me. And rather than saying, I told you so, rather than banishing the son out of his presence forever, the father's response is arms wide open, celebrate, call the band, call all the in-laws, call all the family, call all the workers, prepare a feast, get the best clothes. My son has returned. So if you find yourself drifting, if you find yourself really carried away by the cares of the world, if this is the posture of the Father towards you, and the call is just to come home. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, I thank you that um, the assurance that we can have as your people of our salvation now and our future inheritance Lord, that it is held secure by you. And Lord, as we waver, as we stray, Lord, you don't waver and you don't stray. And so that breathes so much confidence, so much joy, so much security, Lord, into these lives that at times feel so tossed about by waves and wind Uh, Lord, in the current of culture. And so we thank you that you are our anchor and that you keep us for the good that you have for us in the future. Lord, would you help us to not get distracted? We see in 2 Peter that so many followed these individuals, these individuals who appealed to their human pride or to the lust of the flesh. Lord, would we cling to you as you cling and hold us fast. Thank you for the security we have through the blood of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.